Come all you good workers, good news to you I'll tell Of how the good old union has come in here to dwell Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Hello and welcome to Cheese and Roses, a socialist podcast from the heart of America's Dairyland and home of the Packers, Wisconsin. I'm your host, Josiah Wampfler, and today we have a very special second episode for you, featuring an interview with an up-and-coming political leader, Aisha Moe. Aisha is running for the Wisconsin State Senate in the 26th District, which encompasses much of the city of Madison, including the UW-Madison campus. Aisha is a recent graduate of UW-Madison and is seeking a seat most recently held by Senator Fred Risser, who just days ago announced that he will not be seeking re-election. She is a staunch progressive, and I hope that you will find my interview with her very informative and enlightening. But before we get into the interview, just a couple of announcements and reminders. First of all, today, April 2nd, is the last day you can request an absentee ballot for the April 7th elections. Please do so before 5 p.m. today, and make sure you submit your votes for Bernie Sanders in the Democratic primary and Judge Jill Karofsky for the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Obviously, if Bernie can pull off a win in Wisconsin, the entire landscape of the primary will change. So that's incredibly important. And it's also incredibly important, despite progressive misgivings about Karofsky to prevent another right-wing ideologue on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. So definitely also cast your ballot for her and prevent this psycho Daniel Kelly uh, from uh, getting on the court. I would also encourage everyone to call and write Governor Evers to demand that he postpone the election. As it stands, they are planning on having in-person voting despite a global pandemic, and we need Evers to step in for the good of public safety and push back the election date so we can put in place an adequate vote-by-mail system and ensure that this is not only a fair election in which everyone has the opportunity to vote, but a safe one as well. I saw the other day, uh, the reports are that in Milwaukee, they're um, cutting the number of polling stations to just 10. Across the state, there is massive, massive... They're massively short of the, the the poll workers that they need for the election. If this goes forward, there's no way that this is a fair election. So we really need to hammer Evers um, and get him to uh, actually do his job and uh, and uh, look out for public safety and uh, make sure that this is a fair election. So uh, something else I would also like to encourage listeners to consider is running for local office or helping like-minded progressives in their local campaigns. I hope people are inspired by Aisha's story today to get further involved, because we need a massive surge in progressive representatives in the next several years to ensure that our movement can continue to build upon the momentum we've gained recently. Look into what seats are open near you or where you are dissatisfied with your local representation and consider running or getting involved in current progressive campaigns. With that being said, let's jump into my interview with state Senate candidate Aisha Moe. All right, I'm here with state Senate candidate for what is the district again? The 26th? The 26th district, district. yes. Yes, um, Aisha Moe. Um, so I guess the um, what I'll let you do first is just uh, what do we need to know about you? Tell us about yourself. Um, so my name is Aisha. Um, I am running in the 26th Senate district because I think that Madison is a space where we often will vote very democratic, very blue, um, very progressive. And I want to have a conversation about how progressive we want to push things. Um, I'm here to be bold and make bold requests at the state level, because I think both Madison and Wisconsin is ready for that conversation. Um, that's why I'm running. All right. 
Um, so we will, um, we're going to get a little bit more into your candidacy for state Senate. But first, let's start out with uh, some more personal questions, if that's okay. That is um, fine. To get to know you a little bit more as, as a person. So, um, pets. Do you have any pets? Oh, um, my family, my parents, and my siblings, we have four cats. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, um, two girls, two boys. Uh, Princess, Leo, Falafel, and Samosa. Oh, my God. That is incredible. <laughs> what? Uh, I, I need to know the story behind these names a little bit, I think. They're, they're very interesting. <laughs> um, so, Princess, I named her when I was eight years old. She's a, she's a very old cat. Um, definitely a, a hunter. Definitely kills everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, Leo was named by my brother when he was probably six or seven. Um, and we thought because he's very regal, like a lion, so we gave him that name. Okay. Um, Falafel was named by my sister when she was 15 because what she thought was needed was a, a pet named falafel like she wanted it for a whole year so then when we ended up um coming across two kittens she was like this one's being named falafel it's just the final say <laughs> <laughs> and we're like well we should name her brother something related because they're basically twins so then we named him samosa that's incredible i love that um tell me a little bit about uh your music listening habits uh what what do you like to listen to as far as music as far as genre as far as uh different artists oh wow um i'm definitely a top 40s uh listener and my sister who's now 16 will create playlists for me to make sure that i'm on the up and up because otherwise i am a well sometimes get stuck in decades and listening to the top 40s from like the early 2000s and she's like you need to know music that's happening now <laughs> <laughs> that's fair that's fair. Uh, yeah i was left to my own devices i think i would listen to beyonce shakira and jennifer lopez like on repeat <laughs> <laughs> those aren't those aren't bad decisions that's yeah. that's a pretty good bunch right there <laughs> um as far as movies um what uh what movies do you like what kind of movies do you like um i love scary movies okay i recently i recently just finished el oyo which is on netflix um it's it's a scary movie so um it's basically about this prison setup where you have two people per platform and it goes up for an unspecified amount and it goes down for an unspecified amount and the goal is to escape the prison or figure out what's going on. It is so good. Um, it's in Spanish, um, but it's it's really, really good. Um, nice. But yeah, I, I love scary movies. So. <laughs> I, I find foreign horror films are actually uh, sometimes better um, than, than American ones. Um, yeah, um, and uh, tell me about your heroes like who who are the people that you look up to, to who are the people like that's a person I want to be like one day I adore every member of the squad with uh, AOC um, and those four women have done so much good as women of color in office but also as strong socialists and they're not afraid to say what they want and, like, say what needs to be said. Yeah. Um, Ilan Omar has said some very, like, like made some incredible stances very publicly without having to, like, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? She doesn't have to apologize for taking those stances. She says this is just yeah. the right thing to do. Um, especially like when it comes to standing for Medicare for all or a $15 minimum wage, like it's almost like 
among the four of them, that's just the basic. Like, that's just where you start. And then everything yeah. on top of that builds. I love, I adore all four of them. Yeah. Ilhan is probably my favorite member of Congress. <laughs> I mean, she's just incredible. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think she's incredibly brave, especially, I think, on um, on foreign policy issues. She's really, oh, yeah. um, really separated herself from you know, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the mainstream by taking really strong stances. No, those are, uh, those are very good answers. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess, so, uh, let's get to know your background a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, so you, you recently graduated from college at, uh, yes. UW Madison. Yes, uh, tell us about what, um, what that experience was like, what, uh, what you, what degree you graduated with, why you pursued that? Um, so I graduated with a degree in mathematics and African cultural studies um, from the UW. And I think going in, I knew I wanted to study math. I was a huge fan of calculus. <laughs> and I was like, I want to do more of this. And <clears throat> that degree definitely kicked my butt. <laughs> um, and then my other degree came from this desire to learn Arabic. Um, my family is Muslim, and growing up, I could read and write, but I didn't understand what I was reading or writing in Arabic. So then I was like, I want to learn, like how to how to understand the language and how to speak it. Um, and that turned that morphed after um, after I did a study abroad in Morocco it morphed into an overall like a study of the region and got a degree in African cultural studies, um, and which was very eye-opening about the, the fact that we live in a post-colonial world, I don't think is very well taught <laughs> to yeah. um, American yeah. students in high school. So, or even in college, if I hadn't taken that uh, those classes and gotten that degree, I wouldn't have understand the context of what colonial and post-colonial era even means. Yeah. So I was very grateful to my professors for teaching me those distinctions. Um, yeah, that's, does that answer your questions about my degrees? Yeah. yeah. Um, what, um, I guess, what about, what about your experience in college? Do you think, um, and those, and, those degrees specifically, do you think will prepare you for um, the job of being a state senator? Um, I, so politics was a huge like passion project of mine all through college because my degrees were in math and African cultural studies and I was working really hard to make sure I did really well in those classes and then I kept taking internships and fellowships in politics. And I always figured, I was like, oh, this is just like a, you know, my passion coming out into this, you know, race or this election cycle. I'll just focus on this race or this election cycle, and then I'll go back to my degrees. Um, but it was in that overlap of all three that I learned uh, what my stances on, like, what my stances were on world politics what my stances were on how math and science should be utilized in the political sphere and actually how to organize because those because how to organize isn't something that you're taught in political theory. It's what you do when you're on the grounds. And it was in the mix of all three of these things happening simultaneously that you learn what it is to be a candidate because you kind of have to know policy and how to be a community activist all together in one person. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, sorry, just blanked there. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I think um, what uh, what I what I've really liked about you in the very short time that I've I've known you um, is uh, I think you, yeah, you you do come from that um, that organizational um, movement, um, out kind of outsider framework. Um, mm -hmm. I think sometimes too often, um, you know, to, to pursue a state Senate seat or assembly seat or whatever, um, you know, it's considered, well, you gotta, you gotta go 
uh, be a city councilor. You got to go be a mayor. You got to go do this and that. And all, there's all these prerequisites and whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the big problems that happens <laughs> is by the time somebody gets to the assembly or becomes a state senator, they are just the definition of a politician by that point. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think like the different problems and crises we face as a state, as a country, as a world, um, we need non-politicians um, in a lot of ways because the kind of the definition of a politician is a um, is uh, always always trying to play play the game to to get ahead to um, uh, I feel like the the more you're in it in in some ways um, people people become less less apt to um, to go out and take take a stance that might be considered risky or or whatever um, but the stances we actually need um, to to solve all all these problems and crises we, we currently face so um, that was a little jumbled the way I said it but um, I, don't <laughs> no, know I hear you what I'm hearing is that um, politicians are sometimes afraid to take risks whereas people who are outsiders they don't have as much to to lose and looking good. So yeah. they're able to take risks that are, that we need that are, that are necessary right now. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so I, I think, um, you know, uh, I think frankly, the, anybody that would be concerned, like, well, she hasn't been a city councilor before or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think in politics, sometimes we, uh, we overestimate the, the qualifications, um, you know, uh, certain qualifications uh, to become a politician. Now, obviously, you know, I think you need certain, you know, you need qualifications. It's like you need to, like, be intelligent and, and um, you know, uh, looking out for your constituents and, um, you know, different things like that. But I think, you know, as far as the you have to follow these specific steps to to get there, I think, is, is something we kind of need to overcome um, because, th- frankly, too, uh, a lot of times these steps are not available to all people, you know, besides yes. like, well, frankly, white men yeah. <laughs> is, is a lot of times oh what God. it boils down to. Um, so in order to get a more, um, get more diverse people actually representing us as a country, I feel like you need, um, you know, uh, you're going to need to skip some steps maybe. Um, because it's been so geared towards one one specific group of people. So that's definitely true. Um, I think that those steps of you know, were you a city councilor? Were you a county board member? Did you go to the assembly? And now are you at the state senate? Like following those steps doesn't have a great doesn't also include. Are you empathetic to the needs of everyone? Yes. Um, are you someone who has accountability and responsibility for when things go wrong? Can yep. you take accountability for mistakes that you've made? If anything, following those steps doesn't pull those out of individuals. And I think what we need a lot more accountability and empathy of all of our representatives. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's uh, let's dig a little bit into the policy. Um, <laughs> so I. Uh, First of all, um, you, uh, I believe this was the, the first, you know, big kind of policy plan, um, you released your, um, COVID-19 action plan. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, what, what are the big points that you think that, uh, specifically the state government needs to be doing right now? I first off want to acknowledge Governor Evers for making his own plan as well, but I think it's important that we recognize it's not getting passed because there are representatives, the the Republican leadership right now has not been doing their job in taking action to ensure that citizens of Wisconsin are being taken care of. I think first that needs to happen is that the Wisconsin legislature get into session and use funds that 
we have available to do the what's needed for Wisconsin. Yep. I think that we, I mean, I think healthcare overall, not just inside of this this specific crisis, but for Wisconsin is the issue that voters are voting on that citizens care about. And I think the first step that needs to be taken, whether inside of this crisis or in January of 2021, when the next state senator gets elected, um, I would be working as hard as I could to make sure that Medicaid in Wisconsin gets expanded, that we accept the federal funds yeah. from the government to expand Medicaid. In this specific scenario under COVID-19, by expanding Medicaid, we could ensure that the costs associated with treatment for COVID-19, as well as other medical expen expenses that happen for people are covered and we aren't leaving people high and dry because they can't afford healthcare. Yep. Um, I also think that the current, the upcoming presidential election, which is in six days, um, would be more accessible to voters if we moved the election and gave every registered voter a ballot. I think yep. moving the election is to help make sure that everyone gets registered. Um, and then once everyone is registered, mailing every registered voter a ballot is the only way can we can ensure that democracy happens at a time when it's dangerous to go out into public and be at a polling place and we're not putting poll workers at um at risk because we're yeah. having them count ballots yeah for sure do you have it oh sorry do you have any other questions um yeah so um i guess uh so um evers has thankfully put a put a, a halt on evictions and foreclosures I know you're also calling for a a halt on rent hikes, which I think is extremely important. Yes. Um, and then you're also calling for a freeze on rent, mortgage, uh, utilities, and student debt payments as well. Um, also important. Um, <laughs> yeah, yes. I mean, because uh, I I think it's it's a little asinine. I mean, especially. Um, you know, in, in, in a lot of states, actually, they've already done a, a mortgage moratorium. There's a mortgage moratorium federally for um, certain properties that the federal government has jurisdiction over. Um, so, like, <laughs> there's a lot of scenarios where uh, landlords don't even have to pay the, the mortgages on their properties, but they're still charging rent. Oh, my gosh. You know? So I right. mean, like that's that's insane. Um, so I think you, you know, I think it's it's obvious you need to do both. Exactly. Um, yeah, and um, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about um, about healthcare um, in this current crisis. Um, I think you you and I both agree that uh, yeah. this is very much showing the need for a federal. Um, Medicare, Medicare for all system. Um, yes. You know, I mean, this is <laughs> the basic thing that this crisis is doing that and is is revealing. It's like the whole, well, people need to uh, need to be able to keep their their employer insurance that they like. Well, uh, it turns out they can't keep their employer insurance if they don't have jobs anymore. Um, exactly. Especially if we're you know, asking them to stay home because that's what's safer for our community. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so that's that's obviously a big thing that's happening, and we're we're seeing that. Oh yeah, uh, what happens when we just have mass unemployment all of a sudden, and everyone loses their jobs and then their insurance in the yes. middle of a healthcare pandemic? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so obviously, you're running for state senate, um, yes. not not federal. So you don't no. you won't have the power to enact a federal Medicare for all system. But what? What are you looking to do as far as healthcare on the state level? You said um, expand Medicaid um, to finally just take the literal free money <laughs> from the federal yes, government. The money, yes. <laughs> um, what uh, What beyond that are you looking to do? Um, what I'm looking to do is with this Medicaid expansion is create a Badger Care for All system. So it would be statewide, 
um, BadgerCare refers to um, the Wisconsin Medicaid system, and it would be a public option for our markets here in Wisconsin. And everyone could be insured regardless of um, pre-existing conditions, regardless of whether or not they have a specific employer. People could have access to healthcare that would cover them. And I think that's just a basic right that we haven't as a state taken ownership and responsibility for, for our citizens. Um, and I think that a Badger Care for All system would do that. Okay. Um, so yeah, so a, so a public option system. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I think, yeah, that is, um, that seems to be something that state governments, um, can do in the, in the interim between us, maybe finally, hopefully someday <laughs> getting a, getting a federal, uh, Medicare <laughs> for all system, you know, um, yeah. maybe we can at least try to try to, um, achieve, uh, you know, as close to a zero unemployment rate as possible in, in our own state. Uh, so I, I think that's, that's definitely a smart move. Um, so, uh, one of, uh, one of the other plans you just released was mm-hmm. an LGBTQ plus, uh, liberation plan. Uh, yes. I just want to say one, I love that you called it a liberation plan. Um, that just, that speaks to my specific, um, I don't know, uh, vibe. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think that's, uh, it's, it's just, it's just a good sounding, um, plan. Uh, the other thing is, I think it is, um, it's really telling. It's really actually kind of moving that one of the first plans you released was, um, you know, a, an LGBTQ plus rights plan, you know, um, and, and a detailed one. Um, I think a lot of times, uh, candidates will release like a, Hey, uh, gay people exist and they're fine. (laughs) Um, and that's basically like their, their plan. Yeah. Um, The plan is you're okay. We'll allow it this time. And it's like, well, you know, their plan is basically like, well, people shouldn't, uh, shouldn't, uh, uh, shouldn't be mean to gay people and uh, shouldn't misgender people. Um, that's that's it's a lot of just like rhetoric. And I like how you you attack specific policy problems uh, that specifically relate to to the LGBTQ plus community. Um, yeah. So uh, if you want to go over exactly what, you know, is in your uh, liberation plan. Yeah, um, the. I'll just do the main bullet points and we can talk about it a little bit uh, after. But first, ending conversion therapy. Secondly, healthcare again, being one of the most important issues for Wisconsin, also being very important that we focus on healthcare specific to the LGBTQ plus community. Um, Ending the panic defense, which makes it legal to assault or even kill people following the disclosure or discovery of their sexual orientation, which is horrifying that it still exists in in our law and needs to yep. be removed immediately. Um, creating adoption and parenthood rights for um, same-sex parents that are equal to that of opposite-sex parents. Um, and making the legal transition, like your legal gender transition, just easier. It doesn't need to be more complicated. It's already a very long process that doesn't need to be more complicated because the government can't get its stuff together. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything uh, specifically you want to talk about inside of that? Yeah. Um, did you say uh, fight uh, uh, discrimination and guaranteed housing as well? Yes, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I think, well, yeah, I mean, some of these are just like so goddamn obvious it's like it's just it's it's so sad that we haven't just done these things already like and conversion therapy yeah like yes why why is this still a thing it's 2020 um (laughs) you know uh and i mean the panic defense is it's horrifying that that is still on the books um so 
you know, so a couple of these are like, yes, thank you for finally <laughs> just doing the basic things. Um, <laughs> so uh, those are great. I think what I what I really like, though, is um, there was there is even actually specific stuff in here. Points brought up that I was like, oh, I actually hadn't quite thought about that. Um, so um, one, one of the ones I obviously had thought of was uh, was healthcare. I think I think the um, the Badger Cabral system will definitely help um, with that. And then I think, you know, probably from there, we we do need to discuss, um, you know, just like with um, with racial disparities in the healthcare system. I'm sure there yes. are disparities as far as LGBTQ uh, plus individuals um, that will need to address, um, you know, uh, specific problems with uh, with different policies from there. But I think, you know, the baseline is just like, let's get everybody access to the healthcare so then we can actually go from there. Um, mm -hmm. And a huge housing. part of health, oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, so, uh, no, uh, go on, sorry. Um, a huge part of healthcare is too, we often talk about like physical health, but mental health care access is hugely important as well, especially yes. inside of, um, the LGBTQ plus community, which has a higher rate of depression due to stigmas created in our society or whether or not there are access to friends and family that are supportive. It just, as the numbers show, it just happens this way. But mental health care access is hugely important. And I feel like a Badger Care for All system, which prioritizes that, creates a basis for what we think is acceptable and what we think like healthcare should look like. And we're not leaving it up to private insurers to decide whether or not your mental health is worth anything. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think one of the other things, um, guaranteed housing. Um, I know I, I, I had an inkling that this was probably true. I didn't know the percentage you cite, um, according to the Williams Institute, 40% of the homeless youth population identifies as LGBT. Um, that is horrifying. It is um, horrifying. And I, uh, so, I mean, I think this is, this is also a really important point. Um, the homeless crisis in America in general is horrifying and needs to be solved. Um, and uh, specifically in regards to um, LGBTQ plus individuals um you know this is this is another problem because a lot of time you know there there are specific ways a, a lot of people probably become homeless um one of which being you know the stigma um they're kicked yeah. out by their parents their roommates you know whatever else um you know uh besides the fact of you know the the um economic problems um that uh that lgbtq plus individuals um specifically face. So I think that this is also a really important point. Um, so I guess, um, you know, uh, one of the things that I think um, the state uh, definitely can do is to expand public housing. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I think that's um, probably a thing. Is that along the lines of, of what you're, uh, you're considering to, to, to tackle the problem? Absolutely. Yeah. Expanding yeah. public housing options. Okay. Um, and then, um, yeah. And then, uh, the, uh, enshrining of, uh, adoption and parenthood rights, I think is also a really important point. Um, you know, I, I think that's another one of those kind of like obvious ones of like, right. Can we please just do this already. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, everybody can get married. Like, why can't they be parents for sure <laughs> at this point? Know. Like, let's you know let's get there um and i think you know like the other thing i love about this is i think oftentimes we we don't um we don't think about like the the smaller like nitty-gritty issues and i think the legal process um for transition is a great plank in here because it's like let's Let's just think about the the stupidity involved in in trying to, as an individual to do this. Um, right. All of the all of the hoops you have to jump through. 
Why is that there? We just need to solve that. Like, you know, th that's that's one thing that really appeals to me about a lot of, um, you know, a lot of progressive um, policies uh, like Medicare for all, um, free public college and all these things. It's like one of like the one of the kind of minor things that or smaller things that people don't talk about much is just like people hate filling out forms and just like doing <laughs> right. doing stupid bureaucratic BS. Right. Why don't we remove as much of that as possible? Um, and I think this is like another example of that. It's like specifically with people trying to um, legally transition. It's like, let's make it e as easy as possible. Like they're already going through, you know, a very um, difficult, uh, you know, tumultuous time in their life. Let's maybe not pile on with a bunch of bureaucratic BS. Um, so I, I, I really appreciate that you have this in here as well. Absolutely. So. Some of the bureaucracy related to transitioning is makes like just makes it a longer process when that's not the role of the government to make people's um, like people's lives more complicated and more um, difficult than it needs to be, including like, for instance, one of the policy, like one of the things that's currently required is that you need to publish your name in a public newspaper for three weeks up, upon a name change. And that's just not something that is required necessary and it seems kind of archaic and not, yeah. not a great policy choice. And I think that we just need to make it less complicated for everyone. And that's, how, that's just how I feel. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. Um, <clears throat> So let's uh, let's talk about um, some of your other top issues um, that you'll be talking about in the campaign. Um, I know healthcare is obviously going to be one of those. We've kind of talked about that. What's what else are you like your main main things that you're going to be um, really trying to hammer home? Like this, these are my positions. These are these are the the vision I want to see for our state. Um, I think that. Along with healthcare, other issues that are extremely important to our current um, political climate right now include uh, the student debt crisis, um, how we treat the environment, um, and the legalization of cannabis. Um, in regards to that first one, I think student debt creates a burden on individuals that like limits their innovation, their ability to be entrepreneurs. Um, and their creativity. And by creating this unnecessary pressure, which is the worst it's been for our current generation of young working professionals, it's worse than it's been in the past. And it creates an unnecessary pressure that causes young people to move out of Wisconsin and go to larger cities to be able to get jobs to afford their lifestyle and afford these huge bills and student loans. Then we have this great big, like, you know, gap in our workforce of young people because they're moving away to go make more money somewhere else. Whereas if we alleviated some of that pressure, we could have young people engaging with the economy, creating businesses right here that help us as a state become stronger because there's nothing stronger in an economy than a strong workforce. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> I... And then, go ahead. No, yeah, go on. Um, and then with the environment, I think that the, I think it's a crisis that we're not dealing with as a crisis. We're kind of pushing it off to a later generation. Um, but the time to act is now. The steps we can take now, if we don't take them now and we push them off for another 50 years, they will be way more expensive in the future um, to address these issues. So I think the first step as a state that I would want to, the first step as a state senator I would want to take is making sure that the state pension fund does not invest in fossil fuels, an industry that we know creates greenhouse gases. I think that's an obvious first step. Yeah. Um, and I said, and I think instead we should be using money to fund renewable energy and investing in renewable energies. Yeah. Um, and lastly, related to legalizing cannabis, um, I again think this is an economic opportunity for our state that other states have engaged with. Um, but I also think that the fact that cannabis has been criminalized um, 
is a double standard when there are things, other drugs that haven't been made illegal, um, but cannabis has been, and most of the communities affected by um, the criminalization of cannabis have been communities of color. And by legalizing recreational cannabis and including expungements for nonviolent drug crimes, we can create a restorative justice program that enables communities of color to bring back wealth into their communities when otherwise it have been disproportionately, um, uh, you know, there's been disproportionate amounts of prejudice against them for drug, for a drug related crimes of, an, you know, that are nonviolent. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to, I want to hit on, um, the, the, the marijuana, um, <laughs> in a bit. <laughs> Um, okay. but just, uh, just going back to the environment, um, yeah. I, th- I think, I think one, yeah, like it's obvious. Yeah. Uh, stop investing the pension funds in the fossil fuel, um, companies, uh, especially too, because it's actually becoming a bad investment, <laughs> this, like, <laughs> which is, which is like a, a decent, a good sign, actually. It's, yeah, that's, it's that's a good thing. Um, so like, there's also like just a financial, um, aspect there too that's like well it's just a better idea not to um and yeah and i i think i think in the coming years i think especially in wisconsin um climate is going to be a really important issue you know we have a gigantic part of the economy in wisconsin is farming and and the climate crisis is going to directly impact uh farmers and it already is you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you talk to any farmer in the state right now, they will tell you, yeah, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> the as the years go by, it's getting it's getting different. Um, e- every year is 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 worse in some way or just different in some way. Um, and so that's that's definitely going to be um, an important part. Um, and I think, you know, the 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 prospects going forward on the federal level look to be, you know, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. We either have, uh, it looks like at this point, maybe we either have Donald Trump who's not going to do anything about climate or, uh, possibly maybe hopefully not, uh, Joe Biden who is going to do minimal things about climate. So I I think it's going to be really important going forward for, specific states to step up um and i think i think wisconsin could could definitely uh could definitely lead that so it's it's encouraging um that that is you know that's one of your top issues um and you know i think it makes sense and i think this is like why why it's good for um you know to finally get younger generations involved and and elected to these positions it's like it's our fight you know (laughs) this is this is something we are going to be dealing with um, so, you know, like we need to be on the front lines of, uh, coming up with these solutions because, um, because, you know, this is our future, uh, that we're fighting for. So, yeah, yeah, it's an issue that it directly impacts what we'll see in the next 15 years. Um, so it can't, it can't wait. <laughs> yeah. We need to do something now. And Wisconsin has a long history of actually being a state that, brought the conversation about the environment and the health of our environment to the to the national level we created earth day let's keep doing stuff like that yeah, and treat, right? our, treat our environment like the treasure it is yeah no and I, I i think wisconsin just needs to get back to those you know i mean there there's so many examples of like the many different things that the progressive history that wisconsin has you know i mean Medicare mm-hmm. and Social Security were ideas that, um, to some degree, originated in Wisconsin. Um, yes. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so I think there's 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 a lot of things we um, can get back to as far as far as that, and I think climate is 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 one of them. On um, on marijuana, um, yes. I want to just expand the conversation to uh, criminal justice reform yes. in in general. Um, this this is a really has always been a really important issue um for me um uh i i used to be a libertarian um mm-hmm. but uh the similarities between libertarianism and socialism actually 
uh, on the criminal justice front were like a bridge for me that uh, that and foreign policy were were very much a bridge. Um, So what um, so I guess like one of the things I always think about is. um, Progressives, um, you know, one one of the things we really, really want to do is, you know, we say we want to end mass incarceration. Um, and a lot of times we specifically focus on the federal level, which is important, which is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, but like one of the things I don't think we talk about enough is most prisoners in the country are state prisoners. They're not federal prisoners. So state policy on criminal justice is actually in some ways even more important than than federal policy um, mm-hmm. because states have a lot more jurisdiction over over policing than than the federal government does. So um, so that is to say, like this is um, it's really, really important <laughs> to to elect people that are going to take on true and real criminal justice reform. So, um, you know, uh, so you want to legalize cannabis. Um, what are some other things um, you're thinking of as far as tackling criminal justice reform in Wisconsin? One of, so I apologize, I don't know all of the details about uh, like the correct terms for uh, this process, but there is currently in our criminal justice system inside of Wisconsin, um, a system in which after someone has served their uh, time, uh, there is an ex- a period of time after they've been released in which if any of the, fo- it's like a parole, but it's not included in their parole. Um, okay. And if a certain, you know, if they, if there's drinking or drug usage or certain infringements on this parole type um, time period after a release, um, a person can end up back in prison for things that aren't necessarily, um, aren't ne- like drinking's not necessarily a crime, but it can still put you back in prison even after you've served your entire time yeah. and it's not considered a parole. I think that, um, I don't know what the exact term is, I apologize, but I think that is something that needs to be gotten rid of in our state because it creates unnecessary, like it's not fair, it's not just to people to yeah. put this extra limit on them. Um, one of the characteristics of that time period is that you can't talk to other felons or people convicted yeah. of crimes. But if, for instance, someone in your family was a person who had also served time, like you're, what we're asking people to do is to not talk to their family. And that's not how you create yeah. strong communities. It's not how you create strong um, li- um, adjustment back into society um, after time in prison. It's not constructive. Um, well, I, I think too, like on that point, um, you know, like what, <laughs> what better way of talking about the experience of being in prison, of being, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a felon, than talking to another person with that experience? Like, I mean, <laughs> that's like, <laughs> that's yeah. like a, a form of personal therapy <laughs> that you are taking away from people and yes. and it also like has this this horrible implication that it's like well if they talk to other felons they're just going to do more crimes <laughs> and it's just like it's insanity like that that is just that's just the baseline of you can't even talk to other felons because of course you will do more crimes um yeah. like that's so yeah I, I think that's really important and it creates almost like a a lifetime of like a a lifetime of challenges as opposed to being able to serve time and get back into society as um as a member of it as opposed to someone who's always constantly on the outside yeah yeah um so i guess uh other other states have pursued um bail reform um uh, attempting to to get rid of cash bail would that be something that um, you would be in favor of? Um, I actually don't know what I don't know a lot about that. Can you inform me more? Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. one of uh, one of the big problems in the the country as a whole is we have um, 
literally, uh, I, I believe it's hundreds of thousands of individuals serving time in jail. Um, j- for the only reason is because they can't afford the bail. Um, mm-hmm. So they they are sitting sitting in jail uh, awaiting their trials. And um, one of the big problems this can cause is uh, a lot of times the um, the justice system will will abuse this. Um, there have been cases. Um, probably one of the most famous is the uh, Khalif Browder case, in which he was um, arrested and accused of like stealing a backpack in a convenience store in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, um, I believe, it was like he was issued like a thousand dollars bail. His family couldn't come up with it, mm. um, so he sat in Rikers for uh, I believe it was two years uh, without a trial, and um, and then he uh, finally got out because uh, his defense got the um, convenience store video. <laughs> And saw that the guy that stole the backpack didn't look anything like him. Um, and uh, unfortunately, uh, Khalif, um, after he was released, finally, after I, uh, just a, a couple years, um, uh, committed suicide um, because of the, the trauma he'd went through. So obviously, this is, this is an extreme case. It's not uh, necessarily what happens all the time, but it's definitely what... Um, what can what can happen when when bail is is abused by by the justice system to basically indefinitely hold people just because of their inability to pay um so yeah that uh i know um new york recently passed um bail reform that um uh got got rid of the use of of cash bail they use other means to to compel people to go to their trials and and whatnot, um, and you know, only uh, only lock up people uh, pre-trial that you know they have a real reason to, like you know, uh, because frankly, like the only people that you can really think like these are the people that would need to be locked up pre-trial are like you know, it's very rare cases. It's like serial killers and like stuff like that. Oh, um, then absolutely. Thank you for ex- uh, explaining that. Absolutely, that doesn't seem. Uh, Personally, I feel like a cash bail is another symptom of a of a society that thinks that we can equate human life to some sort of profit margin. Um, yeah, absolutely. I would be in support of ending cash bail in Wisconsin. All right. Um, so let's um, let, let's just talk about your campaign a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. So we are. We are in a, in a very interesting time now. Um, it's a little inauspicious for for a campaign to be in right now, but obviously, um, you can't really physically campaign. Um, <laughs> right. So, um, so that's that's you know an an interesting thing that's going on. But um, mm-hmm. You know, another another development that recently happened in in your race is um, the uh, the person that that previously held the seat that you are running for, uh, Fred Risser, um, has just uh, said he's not going to seek reelection. Um, yeah. So yeah, let's uh, talk about that a little bit. You know, what what do you know about uh, uh, Senator Risser? Um, what are what are your thoughts about the whole thing? <laughs> So, um, so when I stepped into this race, um, when I said I was going to and made the declaration back in November, I met with Senator Risser. Um, he, a little bit about him, uh, he, he has served 64 years at the state legislature. He is the longest serving state representative in the entire country. Um, he is a World War II vet. And four years ago, no one ran against him. No one ran against him in the primary. No one ran against him in the general election. And I decided to jump into this race because I figured we need to have a conversation. Um, Rister's done amazing progressive actions for 
Wisconsin. He was one of, he voted for one of the first pro-choice pieces of legislation in our state. Um, and I, no one can take away his legacy of serving as a strong progressive here in Madison. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to bring other pieces into the conversation, like um, a Medicare for all system being outwardly like in favor of these strong socialist um, actions. I just figured this is why I'm going to run, talk about these issues and run an incredible race. <laughs> and then this last week he stepped down um, and it changed the playing field by a lot. Um, uh, I was in the race and I thought, wow, I don't, I don't exactly know why he stepped down, um, but perhaps it had to do with seeing such a strong movement from a young candidate uh, and wanting to see more powerful stances from a younger generation. But yeah. That's, I mean, we can only guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, I think one of the interesting things is, um, so he was... Uh, he was 90 he's 94 um i believe so yeah yeah so the 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 oldest member of of the wisconsin legislature um and mm -hmm. what what is your your age i'm 21 okay so you uh you would be the youngest member of the of the state legislature so i i think that's just kind of a an an interesting um uh you know, uh, an interesting outcome that, that could happen. The, the oldest member passing, passing the torch to the youngest member. Um, and I, I think, I think frankly, quite, quite fitting, um, if, if that were, if that were to take place. So uh, the other thing, you know, right now is, um, obviously you, you, you cannot physically campaign. Um, so what, uh, what are you looking to do um, as far as getting your message out and as far as, you know, winning this race? Right now, I, along with a lot of, a lot of politicians, or politicians, a lot of candidates running in politics right now are running basically entirely social media campaigns, phone calls and Facebook and Twitter, are how we're going to get through now until the quarantine is over. And it's a, it's challenging. It no one has done this before. It's challenging, but it's for the safety of our overall community. So I think everyone is in favor of making sure that we keep people safe. Yep. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's mostly lots of social media engagement, lots of phone calls, and promises to meet face to face in the summertime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well. Uh, so with that. Um, let's let people know, uh, where they can go to, to stay in touch with you. Um, since you will unfortunately not be at their door anytime <laughs> soon. Um, so, uh, website, social media, uh, all, all the ways people can, uh, keep in touch with you. Yeah. So my website is AishaForStateSenate.com. Um, I'm on Facebook at, Aisha for Wisconsin on Twitter at Aisha for Wisconsin and on Instagram at Aisha for Wisconsin. All right. Um, and people, you, you have an, uh, act blue set up, correct? I do. So people yes. Can donate. That's going to be very important. Uh, please, if anybody, um, you know, uh, supports Aisha, uh, get out there, donate, um, you know, to make sure that she can send out mailers and, and, uh, whatever else, um, the mailers will be especially important now. <laughs> so especially considering that's how we'll meet people is through, yeah. you know, through the mail. So yeah. Yeah. Please donate. I would greatly appreciate it. Um, and I love sending out my thank you cards to my donors because I greatly appreciate it. I really do. All right. So Aisha Mo for the 26th state Senate district. Um, and when, uh, when is election day? August 11th is August. the primary. August 11th. So hopefully we will be out of quarantine by that time and <laughs> not, uh, not dealing with this anymore. We'll see. Um, but either way, um, if you, uh, if you want to see progressive change happen in the state, it's going to take more progressive people in the state legislature. 
uh, and especially less re less Republicans. So, um, so uh, definitely consider supporting and voting for Aisha. So, um, yeah. Uh, anything else you wanted to say? Uh, thank you, Joe, for having me on your podcast. This is awesome. Thank you. Yeah, no, no problem. Well, uh, with that, uh, this is Cheese and Roses signing out. Thank you for listening. Your loves is scared. Or will you be a man? Which side are you?